0: So, we're taking three weeks to explore this parable that Jesus told 2,000 years ago. Uh, The parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost sons, uh, the parable of the merciful servant, it's been called all these things. Last week we looked at the relationship of the younger son and his father. This week we're going to focus more on the relationship of the elder son and his father. Before we get specifically to that parable, I want to start where we started last week, and that's with verses 1 and 2 in Luke 15, where it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so what we have here is Jesus hanging out with what are called tax collectors and sinners. He's hanging out with the people that the religious elite and most Jews of his day despise. He's hanging out with the people that are friendly with Rome, and so they're despised because they're friendly with Rome and collecting taxes for Rome and getting rich in the process. He's hanging out with what was called the sinners, those who are on the outside, those who are making choices that don't measure up to the standards of the religious culture of Jesus' day. And on the sidelines, looking at what Jesus is doing, are the religious people of the day. And they're muttering, look at what he's doing. He's hanging out with people he shouldn't be hanging out with. And then Jesus tells a series of parables. The third being the parable of the prodigal son or lost sons. Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. Verse 11. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. He divided his property between them. So, not only... Does the younger son get his share at this time? The elder son gets his share, too. This should only happen when the father dies. As we mentioned last week, this request from the younger son is unheard of in this culture. This father's appropriate response should be to kick the younger son out of the house, disown him, and say, "'You are no longer my son.'" Instead, he honors the request and gives his son what he asked for, but not only the younger son, he gives the elder son his share too. Now, in the first century, in a family like this, if there was a dispute between two people, a mediator would come and mediate between the two. This request from the younger son should have surely brought about a dispute between the father and the younger son. And the mediator would be, always be the person who is closest to the two parties, which in this case would be the elder son. What seems clear is the elder son chooses to be silent. He does not intervene. He does not desire to mediate between his father and and the younger son. Even if the elder son hated his younger brother, he would still mediate out of love and respect for his father. But instead, the elder son is silent in this story, and allows it to happen, and watches his younger brother sell off all the property, piece by piece, and then leave, rather than begging him and pleading with him not to do it. Now, also in the first century, when a father would die, the elder son assumes authority over the entire estate, even though the younger son rightfully gets part of the estate. Some believe the younger son would get one-third of the estate, Others believe he'd get half. Uh, Whether it's one-third or half, the younger son, by right, owns that part of the estate, but the elder son has the authority to do what he wants with the whole thing. There's an example of this a couple chapters earlier in Luke's Gospel. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So, this is... Two brothers whose dad has died, and apparently the younger one is coming to Jesus and saying, tell my brother to give me what's mine, rather than holding all the power, holding all the authority, holding all the control over the entire thing. Tell him to give me what is mine. Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, Man, leave me out of this. Do do I look like I'm the one who is closest with you and your brother and should be the mediator or judge here? No. You need to go figure this out in your family system. Don't, Don't make me judge over this. And by the way, It's clear to me that your life is wrapped up in your stuff. And that's not what life is all about. And so, this story that Jesus tells is not clear on this, but some people believe that there is already bad blood between older brother and younger brother. And younger brother is afraid that when dad dies, older brother is going to put the hammer down and have complete authority over the whole thing and not allow younger brother to do what he wants with his share. And so younger brother, knowing that his dad is overly generous with everyone, chooses to go to dad before he dies and says, give me what's mine now. Because when you die, I know what's going to happen. Older brother's going to put the hammer down. Older brother refuses to play his sacred role as mediator in this situation. Younger brother takes off, and as we explored last week, he squanders the wealth in wild living. A famine comes. He's impoverished. He was wealthy, now he's impoverished so impoverished that he agrees to take the humiliating role of feeding pigs. And then we're told he came to his senses and chooses to go back home because he knows his dad is gracious and hopes his dad will allow him to come back as a hired servant. And he comes up with a speech My father I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants and his father sees him a long way off and runs to greet his son takes the humiliation and shame that his son would have received walking through the village upon himself by shaming himself as an elder man running through the village and throws a party puts a robe on him a ring on him sandals on his feet and throws a party for his younger son then we pick up the story in verse 25 meanwhile the older son was in the field when he came near the house he heard music and dancing now if he's in the field what's he doing in the field he's working Likely overseeing a whole bunch of workers and working himself. He's in the field working. What's his younger brother been doing? Squandering his life away, right? He's been working. Younger brother's been out having the time of his life, squandering the wealth, partying, having a great time, and comes back, and what does his dad do? Throws him a par- another party. Older brother's been working, comes home, hears music and dancing. Clearly, this celebration is well underway. There is a celebration going on. So, he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The idea here is he he has your brother back. Not only is he physically safe, but he has brought him back in as a restored son in the family. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. The question the older brother has to ask himself is what what will I do with my anger? What will I do with my anger? When you feel that life is unfair, when you feel you've been cheated, when you feel somebody else got a better deal than you, even though you've been working hard, what will you do with your anger? The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. Now, in this culture, if a party was thrown by a wealthy family like this, the family members would all be at the party, greeting the guests. Even if they had to leave, they would at least make an appearance to greet the guests. To not do so would be disrespectful not only to the guests, but to the father. And so this elder brother refusing to go in is a sign of disrespect to his father. And the servant hears about it, and he tells other servants who begin to tell guests, and the word eventually gets to his father. Your older son is outside, and he refuses to come in. In this culture, the father has one of two choices. First, punish his older son immediately and publicly. Or second, ignore the older son, wait till the celebration is over, wait till everyone has gone home, and then punish the older son. But we've already seen that this father is not... Your typical father. He finds a third way. He finds a way that is not okay with the culture of his day. The older brother refuses to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. The father went out and pleaded. With him. This would have been completely shocking to everyone at the party because the older son is defiantly standing outside in rebellion and the father chooses to go outside and plead with him to come in. This would have been humiliating for the father. The son already humiliates his father by refusing to come in. The father chooses to humiliate himself by going out and pleading with his son. For the second time in the same day, this father publicly humiliates himself for the sake of desiring to restore relationship with a son. Twice. In one day, with each son, he does it. How will the son respond to this unbelievable grace that the father is lavishing on his son? Notice what Kenneth Bailey says about grace. Grace is not only amazing, it is also infuriating. (laughs) That when we see grace lavished upon someone who does not deserve it, it can just infuriate us, can it? They don't deserve that. You're right. And neither do we. The father is showing the same grace to the elder son that he showed to the younger son. How will the elder son respond to this show of grace from his father? Verse 29, the elder son answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Response is, look at me. Look at what I have been doing for you my whole life. I have been slaving for you. I have been working day in and day out for you. And you never gave me anything. In this son who's squandered everything, you throw a party for him. He accuses the father of playing favorites. And he points out his own self-righteousness and that he deserves something better. Theodore Roosevelt once said, Comparison is the thief of joy. The elder son is comparing what his father has done for the younger son with what he feels the father has done for him, which he feels is nothing. I've given everything... To you, and you've given nothing to me. You've never even given me a young goat to have a party with my friends, which in that statement he reveals that his father and his younger brother are not in his circle of friends. The elder son is breaking relationship with his father, his brother, and the community. He just wants to have a party with the in-group, whoever the in-group is for him, his friends. And clearly his father and his brother are not a part of that group. And the father is throwing a party for everyone to celebrate. And he says, won't you just come in and be a part of this party? Comparison is the thief of joy. The son says, I've been slaving for you all my life. I've been slaving for you. I want to remind us of something I talked about early on in this series, and it's this. A sacrifice without love is no sacrifice at all. This son feels like he's been sacrificing his whole life for his father, yet it's been without love. And what that does is build resentment. So several weeks ago, we talked about our resentful sacrifice. That often, as Christians, we sacrifice, we give, we give, we give, but there's this buried resentment. It's a a denied resentment toward God for demanding so much sacrifice. Resentment toward others for not appreciating our sacrifice. Resentment for sacrificing as much as we sacrifice and resentment toward others for not sacrificing as much as we do. This older brother is filled with resentment toward his father, toward his younger brother. Look what I've done my whole life for you, and what have you given me? And then this son of yours comes home, and look what you give him. And so this elder brother is caught in this cycle, I believe, of comparing, of resentment, and of complaint. Complaint. The 14th century Persian poet Hafez says, complaint is only possible while living in the suburbs. Of God. Complaint is only possible while living in the suburbs of God. All these people are in the celebration, in the party. Where is the elder brother? The suburbs. Outside. This is the beauty of who God is. God will leave the party and come out to the suburbs to try to woo us in. We can stand outside and complain and be filled with resentment and anger and bitterness and still God will come and plead with us. Come join the party. Come join the party. Uh, Let me ask you to reflect within your own soul. What what, what is the complaint of your heart? What, What complaints do you live with? Because when we live with complaint, we're living in the suburbs of God. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world, and we complain about our jobs, we complain about our homes, we complain about our cars, we complain about our two cars, Uh, we complain about our stuff, we complain that our computers are too old or our phone is too old, it's not working right, Uh, the more stuff we have, the more reason we have to complain. There's a, there's a whole movement, a, a, a small movement within our culture going on, a, a minimalist movement. And when you talk with these people, who are extreme minimalists, you find they have less stress, less anger, less complaint, and more peace, more happiness because they have less stuff, weighing them down with stress and complaint. When within our spirit there is complaint, it keeps us on the outside of the party. It keeps us on the outskirts. It keeps us in the suburbs of God, while all along God is wooing us back in, and he will leave the party to woo us into the party where joy, happiness, and delight can be found in the heart of the Father. God offers the same grace, love, and party to the son who runs away, as to the son who stays home with resentment. God's grace is limitless and offered to everyone, younger son and elder son, both. The beginning of Luke 15 tells us who's listening to this story. It's the tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees, and teachers of the law. And Jesus tells this story and says to the Pharisees, you think it's unfair. You think they're not worthy. And you're right. But neither are you. And I want you to join the party. See, the father, when he throws this party for the younger son, he's doing exactly what the Pharisees accused Jesus of doing. Eating with sinners. Only this father's throwing a party for one. And so the elder son is standing outside, refusing to go in, and gives his father his whole list of reasons why he refuses to go in. To which the father responds, verse 31, My son... Notice as you read the list of complaints from the elder son, he does not address his father as father. He refers to the younger son as your son rather than my brother. And the father responds, My son. He reminds the elder son of who he is. You're my son. You're my son. You're my son every bit as much as your brother. Come in to the party. Sometimes Jenna and I joke with each other when one of our kids is doing something and we don't want to deal with it, we'll say, look at what your child is doing. I'm not doing it. Look at your child. Will you take care of that, please? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You, you want a goat? For a part? Is that what this is about? A goat? <laughs> everything, everything is yours. It's all gift, it's all grace. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There was a son who ran away and was lost and came back and is found. There is now a son who is standing on the outside and is lost, and the Father is pleading with him to be found. Jesus is brilliant. He doesn't wrap this up all neat and tidy. He doesn't give us any resolution. We're left to wonder, will the elder son come into the party or not? Will we? Will we come into the party or not? Will we celebrate God's lavish, abundant, undeserved grace? Or will we be in the suburbs looking in, complaining about how we didn't get what we deserve? Grace is extended. To everyone. Everyone is invited to the party. Let's go in. God, thank you. Thank you that you extend grace to everyone. God, may we, in humility, acknowledge that it is undeserved and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. God, thank you for life, that it is sheer gift. May we live into that abundant life with joy and spontaneity and delight. God, free us. Free us from our comparisons. Free us from our resentment. Free us from our complaints and fill us with joy and grace and love from you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen As you go. May you know the amazing, undeserved grace of God, our Father. May that God, may he bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his countenance towards you, and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Grace and peace be yours.